If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, we'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 102, would you give ear to the reading of God's Word? Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the days of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I lie awake and am like a sparrow along on the housetops. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion, for the time to favor her, yes, the time set has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations rise, shall, rise, shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from the heights of his sanctuary. From heaven the Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the people are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord, he weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, O oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure, yes. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants be, will be established for before you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning. We come to learn of you and this glorious plan of salvation you have given us through Jesus Christ, your one and only Son. Hear, O Lord, and answer us, for we are poor and needy. Guard our lives, for we are devoted to you. You're our God. Save your servants who trust in you. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servants, for to you, O Lord, we lift our souls. Open your word to us and lead us in our study. Show us the truth that can change our lives. For we come asking your help in our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. This psalm is what Charles Spurgeon called a patriotic lament. 
as I read this psalm and began to really study it, I was amazed at how relevant it was to us today. The writer, who is most likely David, saw his country's distress. He clothes himself in the grease of his nation as in a garment of sackcloth and cast her dust and ashes upon his head. He carries in his heart a distress flag which represents all the causes of his sorrow. He also had sorrows and enemies of his own as in a, is afflicted by sickness. But it is his people's miseries that are causing him the most anguish. It is this anguish that he pours out in a great and sorrowful heart. But as he pours out his lament, he does not forget hope. He has faith in God. In that faith, he looks forward to the resurrection of the nation through the omnipotent favor of his Lord. He comes and walks among the ruins of his city. He lifts his voice in a prayer of hope. No, Zion, you shall never perish. Your sun is not set forever. Brighter days are in store for you. I don't think it would be possible to find the exact time and the surrounding events that led to the pending of this psalm. There were so many times in the history of Israel this could have come from. This patriot saw destruction hanging over his nation unless the people returned to following their God. Can you not look at our nation today? And all that's going on in our government, in churches, and in schools, and not feel this lament in your own heart? Are we sitting on anguish that has been piling up over the last 80 years? A philosophy that has taken away our fear of God and made many think they know better than our God could ever know. This is a destructive path. And we're so far down it that nothing short of a revival can bring us back and not let the sun set on us forever. This psalm is a prayer for the afflicted. It is for the one afflicted when he is depressed. It is for the time he pours out his complaints before God. This psalm is a prayer much more in spirit than in words. There are few formal requests in it, but you find strong supplications running throughout it. These supplications act like an undercurrent, pulling the afflicted to heaven in the griefs and confessions of faith, which are the foundations of this psalm. This psalm is not one of penitence. It is about the sorrow of the heart rather than the grief of personal sin. The sufferer in this psalm is afflicted more for others than for himself, more for his city than the house of, and the house of God than for his own house. He comes opening his heart to the Lord. He comes filled with fault-finding and fretting, moaning that shows his great pain and sorrow. As we turn to this psalm, we find in the first part unceasing sorrow. The moaning monopolizes every verse. The lamentation is unceasing. Sorrow rules the hour. The second part of this psalm, we see an improving vision. It is a vision of better things, a view of the gracious Lord and his eternal existence and care for his people. This helps you to see the heavenly glory, the glory that comes as God shines like the sun 
and is shaded by the clouds, showing his glorious concern for his creation. This psalm is like a day that opens with a brilliant sunrise. And it changes from sunshine to cloudy shade and ending in a glorious sunset. Let's examine this psalm and learn from its words of life. He opens with a call to the Lord, a cry from his heart with a sincere prayer. Verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Sincere believers must never be content to pray for praying's sake alone. You as a believer must really desire to reach out, to touch the ear and heart of your God. We always find it somewhat of a relief to reach out to others in times of distress. We are eased by their hearing our struggles. But it should be most pleasing to you, to your struggles before God. Our God is always a sympathizing hearer. He listens to us. What does the psalmist add to this? Let my cry come to you. When your sorrow gets so deep, so deep that words become too weak to express it, when prayer becomes so intense it is but a cry, then your need of an audience with the Lord is at its highest. It, it is idleness to cry into empty places. But blessed be God, the philosophy which would lead you down such a path is disapproved by the facts of everyday living. That is proved by thousands upon tens of thousands of saints that have declared over the years, truly, truly, God has heard us. The psalmist's prayer is that God would not overlook him and would not disown him. Verse 2, do not hide your face from me in the days of my trouble. Incline your ear to me. In the day I call, answer me speedily. He begs God to see him and hear his plea. He wants God to forget those hard stares of conviction and keep them for other times when he can bear them better. He pleads with God to have mercy in this terrible, terrible time of distress. He calls asking that he be favored with divine compassion. He calls out, incline your ear to me. Please, dear Lord, bow down in your greatness and come to my weakness. Hear my prayer and answer me with your compassion. He calls out, in the day I call, answer me speedily. Lord, my case is urgent. My soul cannot wait much longer. Will you please answer my prayer as soon as possible? A lesson to learn here is that we may complain if God says, no, you must wait longer. We have divine permission to request from God. We have divine promises to be able to continue to ask with importunity. But my friends, we have no right whatsoever to dictate to God, or as Spurgeon says, to be petulant. God will know if our request is so important that deliverance must come immediately. We are right to make an urgent request of God to answer our treaty. For we know that God is willing today to answer our need just as much as he will be tomorrow. We understand he is never slack concerning his promises. He will answer 
when he knows the time is right. In these first two verses, the psalmist has expressed himself in several ways that all come to the same point. In all of these, he entreats us to hear the Lord's answer as a preface to the prayer which follows. The psalmist says his grief has made his life unstable. Verse 3, For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. He says his life has become, because of his suffering, to be nothing more than a puff of smoke. You ever felt that way? I think we all have. He's very unhappy with his life. His life does not seem to be merely frail, but surrounded by so, so much that is darkness, defiling, and depressing. He says, sitting down in despair, he completes and compares himself to men wandering in a desert fog, and that he is so dried up that he is nothing more than a pillar of smoke. We're seeing in our day such terrible sins that cause a dryness in our souls until we are gathered in the darkness with many defiling sins all around us, bringing us into a state of depression. It's difficult to see the light of joy in our land because of the cloud of sin that smothers all our hope and joy. Can you not see that our only hope is an appeal to God for help in overcoming the world of flesh and Satan? He continues, and my bones are burned like a hearth. What he means with these words is that where there, is one, there was once fire, there's now nothing but cold stone. Because of this terrible sin, his soul was ready to be blown away, leaving his body at rest on the cold stone as on a bare hearth. Now I ask you, how often does your piety appear to be just like this? Right now, this very time, we are living in a day and a nation where such dryness has settled over us like a dark cloud of black smoke. Sins of the flesh have settled on us and are driving us far too many deeper and deeper into the bowels of hell. It's attacking the church and believers. It's pulling as many as will listen to this argument down into the utter darkness that kills the soul. This psalm is moved to grief by a view of national calamities and they are so heavy upon his patriotic soul that he was overcome with anxiety. His spirit was dried up and his very life was ready to die. But my friends, there's hope. There's hope for any country which has such men because no nation can die while hearts are ready and willing to lay down their lives for it. Consider your own situation. Do you hate the sin you see in our land? Are you willing to place your life on the line to stand against that sin? Are you willing and ready to give your all to stand and call others to believe on Jesus Christ and to repent of their sins? That is what this nation needs, and that is the only way this nation can be saved. What will drive you in this? Will it be the fear of God or the fear of men? Will you listen to God or to man? 
This all leads us to a parched and withered place. Verse 4. My heart is stricken and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. He confesses. He confesses that his heart has been stricken. It's been torn and ripped by what he has seen. The sins he is witnessing every day are sins that come from deep within the flesh of depraved men. He also sees that they want to drag as many as they can into these sins with them. They have come to the place they are not about any law or standard. They only want to please their own flesh and be imitators of the world. They openly attack those who call them to hear the truth and want to jail them without reservation. This causes among those that fight against such sin, pain. Pain that fills the soul, monopolizes the mind, and drives everything else into the background. It makes matters like eating and drinking hard to continue, and those hours appointed for refreshment go unheeded, leaving the body faint and an increased weariness of heart. Sorrow continues to take its effect on the body. Verse 5, because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. Here's the test of your soul's agony. Is your soul starving because of the sins you are forced to see every day? This good man was struggling to keep his body going. What about you? It takes a long, long time for those in the church to be overcome with the sins of others, but there's always a time for it. We are in that time. You must, as this good man was so moved with sympathy for Zion, you must be so moved for the church of today. The psalmist shows himself to be a, a mournful and hideous object. Verse 6, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. Here he likens himself to two birds, both of which were commonly used as emblems of gloom and wretchedness. The grief of his people has pulled him down. And brightness of his eye has gone and the beauty of his person has been lost. We stand on the edge, on the edge of the total destruction of the church as we know it. These vultures are circling and it will only be the souls of good men that will stand up and deliver the message Jesus Christ brought into this world. The question is, will you be one of those good men? The psalmist says he sees a solitary vigil as the lone sentry of the nation. Verse 7, I lie awake and am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. One of the things we see in this picture of the single bird on the rooftop is that the psalmist feels all alone. He sees his fellow countrymen as too selfish and too careless to care about their beautiful land. Do we not see all too clearly that many in our land have lost all desire for anything but what the flesh calls them to? They hate the truth, and the preaching of the gospel is what they call sin because it goes against all they want. Those who hold on to the word of God and call others to hear it are left alone sitting on that housetop grieving over the sin of their fellow countrymen. All who are earnest Christians must set their hearts to persevere in their prayers and labors and not let the world turn them away from the Lord.
We find how this continues in verse 8. My enemies approach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. This shows the rage of those who hate the truth. They are unceasing. They are unrelenting in their taunts and insults. They make sport of the truth that our psalmist lays before them. His enemies see the saddest state of his country and they ask him, where is your God? They have made their own God so visible in everything they do till it seems they have all the power. They equate numbers with God's blessing. When these false claims are made ascendant every day and every hour, it overwhelms the weak of mind. But what it does in the end is make life undesirable for all. He says, those who deride me swear an oath against me. The wicked are so furious that they bind themselves by oath to destroy him because he stands against them. They make his name a symbol of evil. Verse 9, For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. He's expressing in this verse his great mourning for the wickedness he sees in his own land and his people. He has made it a regular thing to sit in the dust and ashes until it mixes with his food and drink. This shows us the depth of the morn of his mourning. David saw the evil of the people, and so should we see the evil of our fellow countrymen. Just go down to Ingalls. Go down to Ingalls and look at how many of the young women are dressing. What has happened to modesty? What has become of purity? Where has self-respect gone? Are you, are, and you might ask, where has mourning gone within the church? Do you love God? Do you love his ways and hate Satan and sin? As a believer, you have to answer your, your, for yourself these questions and answer them from your heart. Verse 10, because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted up and cast me away. The psalmist has come to a point where his mourning is simply overwhelming. He is depressed, unable to hold hope. The sense of divine wrath hangs in the air. The nation has come to the point of absolute stress because of their failure in purity. God has brought this good man to the end of himself. He has come to the place he feels like a leaf caught in the wind of a great storm. He can see no way out of this trap. Verse 11, my days are like a shadow that lengthens and I wither away like grass. Please, never, never let anyone tell you there's no such thing as depression in the believer. Here, from the very mouth of a psalmist, we hear his depression. He says, my days are like a shadow and it is ever lengthening. He has come to the point he withers away like grass and can do nothing to restore himself. How did he come to this depression? He was overcome with the sins of others until he could find no hope in any of it. And that brought him to his end. How many of you are suffering like this today? You must seek help. Yes, God's word can help, but God also has given through modern medicine help. Put the two together and let both help you. 
we will, as a church, stand with you in your struggle. As we come in verse to verse 12 through 28, we find the writer's mind turned away from his personal troubles to the true source of all consolation, namely the Lord himself and his gracious purposes toward his own people. Verse 12, But you, O Lord, shall endure forever and the remembrance of your name to all generations. The psalmist knows that the Lord himself will live eternally. He will never die and the remembrance of him will be forever. Verses 13 and 14. You will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her, yes, the time set has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. Here, David bewails the miseries of Israel. The nation was in captivity to false gods and heretical philosophies. She was facing destruction and David knows the time for her revival was at hand. David knew God had promised that he would arise and have mercy on her. The children of the Lord were overcome with fear over her ruins. They longed with all their heart to see her rebuilt. They were ready whenever the command was given to set their hand to this blessed work. There can be no doubt in the hearts today of those who love their Lord and his church. They need to be as ready and willing to face the persecution and afflictions that may come their way as they set out to fight for their church and for their nation. We must remember the promise of our God concerning the future glorification of his church at the appointed time. Verses 15 through 17. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. The prophet saw the deliverance of Israel for some hard times. They saw the rebuilding of Jerusalem several times and once the rebuilding of the temple. What they saw that filled them with the greatest of joy and praise was the salvation of sinners and the creation of the Christian church in the days of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A time of joy, a time of praise as we hear the commission of Christ to his church as we open our hearts and go out to make disciples. Verse 18, this will be written for the generation to come that the people yet to be created may praise the Lord. The history of this redemption and restoration by our Lord Jesus was foretold and has been written in the gospel for the benefits of each coming generation. This will go on generation after generation to the end that the people will, are, who are created anew in Christ Jesus may from age to age praise the Lord. Those praises come in the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and will ever continue until the chorus, choirs of heaven and earth shall be joined together before the throne of our God and our Lamb. Verses 19 through 22. For he looked down from the heights of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and to praise in Jerusalem when the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. Now George Horn says redemption is the subject of praise of the Christian church. 
And the process of that great church is here described by images borrowed from the temporal deliverance and restoration of Israel. God is shown here looking down with pity upon a poor race of men. He hears the groans of sinners who are bound in the chains of sin and and sentenced to eternal death. God sees the need for Jesus to come down, to come down and forgive and release them from their sins and guilt. This should cause the church to shout with praise. When the gospel is proclaimed, it should be filled with converts coming from every tribe, nation, and people. Look down again upon men, O Lord, these men who are under the dominion of death and the bondage of corruption. Please, Lord, come and loose our chains. Bring us into this glorious liberty of your children. Open the gates of heaven, O Lord, and let the whole assembly of the redeemed in in the heavenly (coughs) Jerusalem bless and praise your name forever. Verse 23, he weakened my strength in the way he shortened my days. The prophet in verses 18 through 22 expressed faith and hope. In verse 23, he once again shows his depression. Here he sees that Israel does not doubt God's truthfulness, but they fear. They fear God's heavy hand might crush the present generation before they can experience the deliverance from their troubles. They were in, as the psalmist says, the way. But, he says, their strength was weakened and their days shortened. All of this made them despair of holding out to the journey's end. This shows the Christian church always has a great struggle as they face the end of corrupted times. So it will be in the last days as they await the second advent of their Lord and Savior. It will require strong faith and invincible patience to enable them to endure until the end shall come. Verse 24, I said, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Israel prayed, prayed that the Holy One not cut down and perish in an untimely manner. In the New Testament, we see that this promise is fulfilled. God has promised and he fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ and the salvation of all believers was secured. Today you have a reason to pray that God will not take you away in the midst of your days or call upon you when unprepared. Plenty of time. Plenty of time is allotted to you right now to perfect your repentance, to work through the process of your salvation. Are you doing that? Is that one of your main goals? God will not stop his work in the hearts of men until all God is called, know their Savior, and not one generation will ever be lost. Verses 25 through 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will be changed. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Here. Here we find that since creation, and amid all the changes and, 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 and charges of this mortal life, there has been one topic of consolation that ever stands. That consolation 
is the eternity and immovability of God, our Savior, of him who was and is and is to come. Nation and empires may come and go. The heavens and earth as they were first made by the word of God, the Son, to whom the psalmist here addresses himself, the heavens and the earth will at the day appointed be be folded up and laid aside and will perish. But God will never change. His years have no end, nor will his promise ever fail more any more than he will fail. In Matthew 24, 35, we hear this comforting word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Here's where our hope is grounded. And we are established as part of the kingdom of heaven for eternity. I want you to think. Think about all that we've talked about. What can we do? What we can do is stand up for Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived that perfect life, died the atoning death, won the resurrection victory. It is in him and in him alone that we have hope. And he has commissioned us as his people to go forth and deliver the gospel message to all. To take it to everyone and lay it before them. That's what our job is as believers. That's what we need to be focusing on. If we're focusing on that, we will not be depressed. Verse 28. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. You can see in this that whatever our generation may experience, be it great glory or terrible defeat, whether they live to see the accomplishment of all that has been foretold or not, yet the word of God stands sure. Thus, we can be assured there will always be a church. There will always be holy ones to whom the promise shall be made good. These promises have already been fulfilled with the coming of Christ Jesus and the gathering in of the Gentiles. The events which come from the past shall be brought forward and will come to pass in their seasons until the complete counsel of God shall be finished with the glorification of the redeemed. So take heart, parents. Take heart, grandparents. Your children will not be abandoned by God. He will have his church in every generation. They will pass it down to the next generation. So that as long as God leaves this earth intact, it will be under his watchful eye and will always, in the end, glorify his name. In conclusion, this psalm is a psalm written as a lamentation for those who love the Lord and are always brought to grief by the sins of the world. But, It does not leave us in despair. It does not leave us under depression because it reveals the glory of what is coming. God gave hope as the day closed on Adam's fall. He promised that the one coming to us through Eve would destroy the works of sin which Satan opened with his deceptions of Eve. Jesus did that by taking your sins with him to the cross and dying there in your place. To fight the grief and depression of sin and guilt in your life. You have to turn to Jesus Christ and confess your sins and call on him. He will forgive your sins. 
He will save you. He will fill your heart and soul with joy and praise. Praise that is grounded on the hope of His eternal promise. A promise that cannot fail because it is made by a God who cannot fail. Open your heart and hear His promise. It is a call to come to Him and believe His word. If you will hear and believe, your soul will be saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come with thankful hearts for what you have given us. You sent Jesus to us and he said, I am the gate for the sheep. It is Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of your glory. Our delight, O oh Lord, is in your law. And on that law, we come to meditate day and night. Go with us this week. Guide us in our meditations that everything we think, say, and do will bring glory and honor to your name. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.